The days when people were mortgage-free at 50, took out an annuity on retirement and lived off their DB pension payments are long gone. For all but the most fortunate, investing well into retirement needs careful planning and a long-term sustainable investment strategy. As part of that long-term sustainable investment strategy for retirement is a need for a diversified yet robust investment portfolio that can provide both a long-term capital return and income. Within that portfolio, investment trusts can play a dual role, not just in terms of providing that much sought-after income in retirement, which is, of course, the holy grail that advisors are chasing, um, but also a sustainable long-term investment strategy. This FT Advisor in Focus podcast aims to do two things, to look at the reason why investment trusts have proved to be very good income plays for pension investors, especially at this point in time, and to understand why the investment trust universe can provide sustainable long-term returns. So to coin a sort of footballing phrase, in the first half, we'll look at the structure of investment trusts and what it is about them that has turned many advisors and their clients to consider them as part of an investment portfolio for retirement. And in the second half, we'll turn our attention to sustainability, not just in terms of the companies in which investment trusts are investing um, and their individual commitment to ESG, but why such companies make for a long-term investment strategy that has a very important place in a long-term pension portfolio. I'm Simony Kuriaku, Senior Editor of FT Advisor. Um, joining me is Annabelle Brody-Smith, Communications Director for the Association of Investment Companies, Tim Morris, Financial Advisor at Russell & Co, and Simon Clements, Manager of the soon-to-be-launched Lion Trust ESG Trust. Welcome all. Hi. Hi. Good, good afternoon. <laughs> good afternoon, good morning, and good evening, and good night, uh, depending <laughs> on whenever uh, people are, are, are listening to this. Um Annabelle, I think I'll, I'd like to start with, with you. What uh, are the benefits of using investment trusts in a, a retirement po- portfolio? And do we have any stats on sort of the ages of people using investment trusts? Well, yes, Simone, we actually do have some stats. And people usually start investing in investment trusts when they get into their 50s. They've got that bit more money. They've perhaps done a bit more research in terms of looking at what sort of investments they want to invest in. So 50s and into retirement are when people consider investment trusts. And the reason they do that is because they have very strong long-term performance. Over 25 years, the average investment trust is up 957%. Now, wow. there's a number of reasons for that. They have a closed-ended structure. That means that there's a fixed pool of permanent capital and they're listed on the stock exchange. So you buy and sell shares on the stock market. That means their managers can take a long-term view of their investments. They're never a forced seller. And this is great for income investing because they can invest in high-yielding, hard-to-sell assets like infrastructure, renewable energy, or property. They also have particular income benefits. I'm sure we're going to talk more about these. But they have great sustainability of dividends over the long term. And independent boards of directors who are there to look after shareholders' interests. Well, Annabelle, it sounds like I'm a little bit ahead of the curve because I actually have investment trusts in my ISA. 
Um, so I'm feeling, I'm not quite 50 yet, but uh, so I'm, I'm feeling a little bit smug. Um, Simone, right you are always <laughs> ahead of the curve. That doesn't surprise me one bit. <laughs> Thank you very much. We can end the podcast now. You heard it here first. Yeah. I am always ahead of the curve. <laughs> um, Tim, uh, can I come to you as an advisor? Have you seen yeah. uh, what Annabelle's saying? What was the sort of reflection among your clients? Um, I'm pleasantly surprised as well, Simone, because, um, yeah, I would very much see reflected what Annabelle's mentioned in terms of the, the cl- people who do invest in investment trusts generally are the sort of older, you know, closer to retirement. Um, and I think as well, as an advisor, I'm personally quite surprised that there aren't more people who use investment trusts when it comes to advise clients at least um so my my experience of investment trust has always been um going back to my sort of bank advisor days when i'd get um, people coming in just you know a lot of the time for a free bit of advice um so they'd know the expertise that we had behind us in terms of the um you know investment analysts working for the bank and you know that, that part of the structure and um, and they'd want to come in and just get a bit of knowledge and uh, and and really just to find out you know what the global investment team are thinking you know where should they be allocating their money um without having any intention of actually investing with myself i I didn't know that at the time being a a relatively new advisor but you know these are they're smart people they know what they're doing and actually i learned quite a bit off them because you know they'd have their copy of the ft they'd bring in with them and they've been you know reading through the investment prices and you know the way they look at it is just as annabelle mentioned it's it's like a share that's traded on on you know any exchange and um and you know they like the fact that you know, they are very similar. And I think, you know, you can see better returns generally from them than you do from open-ended funds. So, you know, for me, it is the more discerning investor who tends to invest in investment trusts and you've backed that up. It seems, um, it's not just a share though, is it? It's you're buying the investment expertise of a fund manager who's able to pick the very best uh, stocks. And I wonder actually, Simon, if you'd be interested in sort of talking here from your experience about picking stocks within an investment trust structure, you know, what kind of uh, methodology you use when you come to stock picking? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, we're soon to, to launch a, a, a new product in the op- in, in the investment trust world. And the reason that we're, we're excited about it, the reason that we, we've come here is because of things that you've spoken about. So, you know, the real attraction is that because of that closed-ended structure, because it's a set pool of capital, your long-term thinking is more aligned with the way that the fund structured. So we, we, for instance, we feel that, you know, it's easier to go down, slightly down into a smaller cap, down the market cap end of the scale. Now, within an open-ended structure, that's more difficult because you never, you know, you're always having to cover liquidity where closed-ended investment truck structure, you can do that. And what, what we actually find is that, you, you do find, you know, much better opportunities down the better, smaller end cap of the end of the market. And there's various different reasons for that because, you know, it's not as efficient. There's not as many analysts cover it. There's not as many fund managers in there because they can't. So, and you do find that, um, you know, you do find, you know, great opportunities down there. And and we, we've we've invested down the smaller end of the cap scale in some of our funds, for instance, our UK fund. And we've actually found that, you know, at some of our, we've had some of our most success and being able to, to port that kind of expertise in into a kind of global setting with 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 any closed-end structures really excited and we think you know does does give you the opportunity to deliver some some um you know meaningful returns for investors yeah absolutely and, and that kind of managerial expertise focusing on long-term capital returns i mean that is really important for an investment portfolio not just in accumulation but also decumulation isn't it uh, uh tim i'll just sort of come back to you for this i mean it's not just people 
in retirement, but all the way through coming up to retirement, isn't it? Yeah, very very much so. And uh, as I say, it's the people who are looking to get that additional growth in their portfolio, but still while diversifying, th- these are the people who tend to invest in investment trusts. And, and also they know that you can access these smaller companies. And, um, you know, a certain investment manager got, got caught out with an, a certain open-ended fund that's um, very well known, um, you know, a few years back um, through the fact that he was trying to invest in these smaller companies, which are probably more suited to a, a closed-ended um, environment. And, and you know, when I mention it's a bit like a share, well, yes, it is. But like you say, it's got the governance. It's got that sort of board behind it making those decisions and making sure that, that the governance, which is the part of the, you know, G on the ESG nowadays, which is a big focus, they're, they're making sure that that is right. And, and that's vitally important. Absolutely. And and let, let's talk about the board's decisions. So Annabelle, um, many of the boards of investment trusts have done very well for income-hungry investors, haven't they? Uh, some of the dividend giants have been continually putting out dividends for 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, it's, it's a good structure, isn't it, in terms of the dividend payments? works brilliantly for dividend payments. We have our Dividend Hero Investment Trust, which have been raising their dividend every year for more than 20 years. We have six companies that have raised their dividend every year for more than 50 years. And the reason they can do that is because of the structure. Investment trusts can retain up to 15% of the income they receive from their investee companies every year. They hold that in the revenue reserve. And then when times were tough, and as we all know, times were very tough for dividend payments last year, they can use that revenue reserve to boost their income. So for example, uh, last year, 85% of investment trusts raised or maintained their dividend. And that's using this revenue reserve, boosting their dividends whereas 23% of open-ended funds, and these are funds uh, yielding more than 1%, 23% of open-ended funds increased or maintained their dividends. And that is quite a big difference. Yeah, especially when you set yourself out to be an income-generating fund. I mean, obviously, there are funds that are pure capital growth and investment trusts that are pure capital growth, so that we're not... Con- you know, including those in the statistics. But uh, if, if you can see that the banks are stopping dividend payments, if you realise that there are property fund issues and they're suspending, that they're not having any income payments, there's no income on gilts, there's very little income on bonds, there's pretty much zero income on cash, where are you going to go for that much needed income? Absolutely. And it's that reliability of income that investors and advisors should find so attractive. You know, 2020 complete dividend drought, 85% of our companies still maintained or increased their dividend. That says something. Mm. And let's look at capital return as as well. Annabelle, you, you uh, you gave us some very amazing statistics at the beginning of, of, of the podcast. Obviously, people are investing for the long term. And as pensioners, you know, we have to invest our pensions for maybe 30, 40, maybe even 50 years if, if, we're, uh, if we have sort of longevity in our genes. What sort of risks do pensioners need to understand then? And why are investment trusts able to sort of help that long-term capital return need that people have to have when they have their portfolio invested? I think pensioners need to understand that these can be volatile investments. They're on the stock market. 
they can borrow, they can gear to invest. Now, this over the long term helps them perform strongly, but over the short term, it adds to volatility. They can trade underneath their asset value at a wide discount. Uh, they're affected by market sentiment. Let me give you an example, actually. Um, if I'd looked at the investment company's industry's performance, the average investment trust performance up to the end of March last year when COVID was hitting, everything was going wrong with markets. It was down 20%. It was, you know, it's volatile. It's going to be infected, affected by that market sentiment. If I look at it at the end of the year, it was up 18% on average. So it had recovered. These are long-term investments investors need to understand that. But the good thing is that investment companies have been around a very long time. The oldest investment company is uh, FNC Investment Trust, which is 153 yeah. years old. 1868 so or something, wasn't it? 1868, yeah. actually. 1868. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we have 18 companies that are over 100 years old. So they've been through these tough times. They've been through two world wars. They've been through the 1920s depression. They've been through the financial crisis and they've been through the COVID pandemic. Mm. That's, that's a really interesting, um, when you really pull it out and look long term, that's, I mean, that, that's basically what advisors have had to, to do. And Tim, I remember speaking to you last year about whether your clients have had any knee-jerk reactions to sell. And I think you were saying that actually your clients were quite calm. You know, they came to you, you had a long-term discussion with them about their goals, about what they're, what they're planning, and actually they didn't all mass sell in a panic. No, no, that, absolutely. And so, yeah, that, that was the key really. For me, it was going through that experience, which was a, a drop-off in the markets that we haven't experienced since the financial crisis. And, it, you know, it was interesting to see how people would react because, um, yes, we've obviously seen the markets drop off, you know, quite a bit into double figures, you know, since then, because, you know, over the last 10 years, the markets have still been volatile. But generally, we've seen, you know, that upward trend just continue. You know, with just a few small blips along the way, nothing like we saw, you know, those 30% plus drops of, you know, back at 2009. Um, so the fact that we then saw that was was actually a good experience. And to come out the other side of it so quickly um, was actually really good. You know, weren't expecting that to happen. But, but that gives investors the confidence to stick with the investments as well. Whereas, you know, in the financial crisis, it, it was more difficult because it was so prolonged and, you know, the, the sort of dips went on longer um, and, and also took a lot longer to recover. So, but, it you know, it does just reinforce that conversation we have with clients, whether it takes, you know, a few months to recover, six months, 12 months, 18 months, doesn't matter how long, you know, when we look at that upward trajectory over the long term it, it is going in the right direction and and that is I think with investment trust probably something that is more pronounced because I don't use them a, a great deal for clients because they are generally a bit more volatile um, but for me that's that's no bad thing and, and my role there is educating clients to help them understand that volatility you know can be their friend in, in the yeah. long term yeah absolutely yeah because volatility if you're sort of not timing the market, but you've got time in the market. You've certainly got that go. long-term strategy, haven't you? Yeah, that's it. That's key. And this is part of the um, fund manager's skill. And this is where I'm going to bring Simon in because uh, what we've also noted, particularly over, I'm going to call it the COVID months, any sort of fund or investment trust that had um, a very strong ESG strategy tended to be 
less damaged by the market. And um, in fact, I, in, in my portfolio, I've got some um, global sustainable funds. And actually, they were doing much better, even in positive territory, where other funds were were down. And I wonder, Simon, if you can talk through about how a sustainable focus as a fund manager can help mitigate some of the big risks. I mean, and I guess, obviously, you know, that there was that big sort of black swan event last year with the Saudi-Russia oil standoff. And maybe that um, those sort of stocks weren't in my portfolio. So therefore, you know, my portfolio wouldn't have been affected by that. But But could you talk about how that sustainability focus and that ESG focus helps to create a, a smoother and perhaps a, a, a less risky or a less volatile long-term performance? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you know we, we believe very strongly that, you know, more sustainable business and better quality investment. You know, we look at companies through, you know, different lenses of sustainability, the products and services they provide, and also, you know, the quality of the management team. And when we look at things like that, we look at traditional metrics of quality, like do we you know, are they experienced? Are they, are they good stewards of our clients' capital? But how 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 well do they understand and and kind of you know mitigate and 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 kind of you know report on environmental, social, and governance risks within the business? And ten, generally, we find there's a high consistency between you know better quality teams and better quality management teams. They tend to understand this stuff really well. So you know, in in, in our portfolio, whether we've got thirty or forty stocks, we, you know, we've got thousands to choose from. We're going to choose the ones that 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 are you know really top quality businesses, but really do a great job of understanding this stuff. And what you find when you do that over long periods of time, then you know you you have a high consistency of you know when, when things get difficult, you've got a really high quality business, and and that's what we found. And you know, obviously on top of that. You know, a lot of the kind of you know the big structural themes that that, that we invest in and, and how our process works are around you know a world where you know particularly around a healthier world. You know, we believe that you know we, we, over time economies need to provide healthier, higher quality of life for people within them, and we're trying to find companies that provide that, whether that be innovation in healthcare or or you know healthy lifestyles and and all those sort of things became really important um, over COVID. We think um, mm. so. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it, it's definitely, you know, we view as sustainability as, as a tool by, by which is the centerpiece of how we invest. And we believe it delivers, you know, high quality investments. And we believe that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're investing and we're behind companies that are on the right side of history. And what we saw last year was, you know, five years worth of change in five weeks, as it was described. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was, it was, it was quite, quite something. Absolutely. And, and Simon, as a, as a manager, how do you, go about sort of um, working with with boards of companies to sort of help drive that change, particularly as we know that governments are sort of pushing in this direction as well. So, you know, you kind of want the companies you invest in to sort of be yeah. following, following the SDGs and everything. Yeah, I mean, engagement's a huge part of, of, of what we do. And we, you know, we, try, we look, let's be honest, we only invest in who we, we believe are really high quality companies. We're not trying to find a really dirty company and make them a bit less dirty or, you know, we're investing in high quality businesses, but we're trying to improve them. And we're trying to, we, you know, we take out particular you know, things particularly like at the moment, we're really focused on the climate crisis and that kind of need to to cut carbon emissions pretty drastically and not, you know, in 2040 now, like we want to ask, we're asking companies, are you doing it now? What are you doing in the next five or 10 years? So, you know, working with management teams and working with, you know, boards are, are really important. And that's part of, you know, the solution doesn't just come from, it comes from consumers, you know, they, they, they kind of demand different 
they demand change and governments regulate and change and you know companies innovate and provide and that's how you get real change and that's how you get these structural you know changes in the economy coming through over time and, and that's really what what we focus on mm. um, within our team so so tim if i can come to you with you know simon's mentioned you know the 2040 goals um, we also have sort of 2030 uh, emissions target goals if we've got this sort of long-term uh, focus or these long-term goals for improving what are the sort of benefits of investing in those companies that are working towards those long-term goals what, what sort of benefits are there yeah. for clients yeah good question there's there's a number of benefits and um, one thing actually I, I want to ask Simon on this and I think Lion Trust do really well is how we communicate that message to clients effectively um, because yes the sustainable um, development goals from the UN are a very good way of doing that, I think. But it's, well, how do you communicate that through what a fund's doing? And I think this is where, you know, we need to have a clearer message for clients, um, you know, all of us. That's, you know, advisors working with the, you know, fund managers um, to say, yeah, this is how we are meeting these and this is how you're helping contribute to it by investing in these companies because you know having that conversation with clients is, is a really good conversation to have it, it opens up the conversation makes it more engaging and it's you know something people want to make sure they're doing and, and have got that real interest in as opposed to just thinking well yeah of course I want to invest my money you know to get the best returns everybody does um, but they also don't want to give up those returns. You know, most of them don't want to give up those returns anyway to, you know, just to say, well, yeah, I'm doing my bit for the environment and for society. Um, and I think, as you mentioned, you, the key is you don't have to give up the returns. So, so like I say, it's just making sure that we're really clear to say, yeah, yeah, that, you know, this is where you need to be putting your money um, if, you, if you're looking at long-term returns. But, you know, how we're yeah, communicating that to, to the end client is, is key for me. Yeah, and, and how, how is that, how does that work? Like when you speak to a client about sustainability of investments, you're also trying to explain to them that this is a long-term sustainable investment strategy for them, for their pension, for their retirement pot. Is, yeah. is that conversation becoming a bit easier? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think definitely. Um, but where where it is difficult is, you know, if we're saying, well, okay, those, those you know, net zero targets are being brought forward because, you know, if, if you're saying to somebody, well, this is something that we're working towards in 2050, you know, the majority of people are thinking, well, I'm going to be retiring way before then because, you know, we're dealing with clients mainly who are retiring in the next 10, 15 years. So, you know, it's not that far off. But if we bring that conversation forward um, to 2030, obviously that's more relevant for a lot of people. But also, I say, it's not just, just about that. It's not just about saying, well, yeah, this is going to happen in 2030. Therefore, we need to be investing there now. It's them understanding why and, and you know, exactly what that benefit is. Because an advisor, I'll, I'll say, well, look, this is what we need to be considering. But it's just being clear about that why. And, and I think, you know, Lion Trust do that well. Um, and for me, I'm particularly interested to know, you know, how they how they see that from their point of view, you know, how they're going to get that clear message out there. Well, go on then, Simon. Here's a chance to do a little bit of uh, PR for uh, for Lion Trust. You're just about to launch um, your new investment trust. How are you going to sort of work as as a company to encourage encourage that conversation and then sort of promote that kind of uh, awareness and understanding of sustainability? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we're taking the process that we, we, we've been running now for more than two decades. So, 
um, you know, the new trust is a new product with the same process and, you know, nearly all the companies that, that will be in the investment trust are companies that, that we've been, a lot of, most of them we know very, very well. And uh, I mean, I think that, you know, uh, Tim said that the, the conversation in terms of, you know, communicating with clients around sustainability is, you know, it's definitely a lot easier. You know, we've been doing it for more than 20 years and not, not only is that, become a lot easier but also that the conversation with management is a lot lot different now and you know most management teams particularly ones we meet are you know really on top of this they really understand um you know the issues and you know they want to they want to improve and you know they want to improve themselves and they also you know want to you know make sure that they're 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 doing a really good job around you know these key issues so you know and again we when we engage we engage with company we meet with companies at least once a year and we tend to have um an agenda of things that are really important to us so as I say, the climate crisis is really important to us now, and we're we're trying to ask companies in the next ten years. You know, do you agree that we need to cut carbon emissions globally by fifty percent? Yes or no? How's your business fitting within that? Do you feel you can cut your carbon emissions by fifty percent? And so, you know, that's that's what we're talking about now. We also, you know, we talk about things like diversity, you know, gender diversity, and and you know. Um, wider diversity is also an important issue that we've spoken about we've spoken about tax in the past you know we we, we have particular issues that we'll focus on as a team and, and tend to report and you know as i say i think that you know the management teams that we meet are, are very receptive and you know they, they tend to want to you know work in partnership with you and we, we've had great success there and you know it's really important to our clients you know tim said it again so you know reporting this to, to our clients you know that they, they, they're really interested and you know it's you know never give up investment returns. This is all about, you know, delivering superior investment performance. That's why people invest their money. But increasingly, we think well, it's really important to, to, to engage, to report on engagement and also to report on the impact of, of your portfolio um, against, you know, you into sustainable development goals or reporting against things like carbon and, you know, you know uh, other metrics that, that you can report in terms of impact. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. And I, I've seen Annabelle, I'll, I'd like to bring you in here because the AIC has been working quite a lot to um, to do this in 2019, you produced that big report about how companies are positioning, investment companies are positioning their portfolios for climate change. Can you talk a little bit more about what the AIC is doing and about what you're seeing your members doing to kind of address this issue and to promote that long term sustainability of returns? Absolutely. Well, we are thinking about sustainability from an investment trust industry perspective. And what we've decided to do is to invite our members to publish their ESG strategy on our website. So if you go to an individual member's page on our website, you're going to be able to see their ESG strategy alongside the performance and portfolio and other data. And we've had a great response to this uh, idea. We will be publishing from next month, from June. Alongside that, we're also providing a whole load of ESG educational materials to make sure investors actually understand what they're seeing. But clearly, it's very important. And as an industry, our structure is very suitable for sustainable investments. I mentioned renewable energy infrastructure before. So we actually invest in the infrastructure projects, so into the solar parks, into the wind farms, into the battery storage projects. And they obviously produce great yield and are a, a, an ideal sort of sustainable type of investment for pension. So as an industry, we've been doing a lot in this area. And as I said, we think we're very, very suitable as a structure. Mm. 
Uh, just to chip in there, when I mentioned earlier about the fact that you know people look at investment trusts um, a little bit, you know, like they would a share, an individual share. Obviously, they are very different, but um, in terms of you know being able to sort of see the price of it, but also for me, the big thing is that um, they think, well, yeah, I know you know what I'm buying into. Um, you know, it's quite clear. But what I think isn't so clear is that the the pricing, I think, around investment trusts, because nowadays we have to be very transparent when it comes to pricing of, of investments. And historically, investment trusts probably were a bit at the pricier end of the range. And, and that's the reason I haven't used them so much for clients or one of the reasons. Um, but is that something which you guys work on to sort of help with, with, with that side in terms of the transparency of pricing? Yeah, it's a very good question, Tim, because that, that is – Advisors have sort of been a bit reticent in the past to advise on investment trusts. But if you speak to them about it, they all think, well, yes, actually, it's very good. The, the managers are very good. We love the fact that it's liquid. Um, we love the fact that we can trade it. Uh, we love the fact that uh, the way it's structured for the income generation. But perhaps there has been a bit of a reticence. So, uh, Annabelle, I think this is this is definitely one one for you. Can you help answer Tim's comment? Yes, I can. And I do think the transparency of pricing and your trading very much depends on which platform you use. Some yep. platforms just roll all the orders up and perhaps trade once a day in an investment trust. Yep. Others are actually putting through real-time trades. And there's a world of difference in terms of what price you're getting. Um, so I do think you have to be very conscious of your platform. In the investment trust industry, we've been encouraging platforms. You know, there's a couple of platforms that still don't have investment trusts on them. We've been encouraging them to put them on. And we've also been encouraging them to do a better job when it comes to trading. Mm. And DFMs have been pretty good, haven't they? A lot of the DFMs have been very good at incorporating investment trusts within their strategies or their managed portfolios. Um, but I guess it's, it's, it's a question of whether you want to buy a specific trust rather than just buy a managed portfolio. Tim, I, I guess that's that's uh, often a question for the advisor, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very much so. So, so, and this is where I'm coming from, Annabelle. With that question is, so when we're researching the portfolio for a client, it's very much a case of, you know, we can say, well, okay, we know there's this particular investment trust in this area. Um, you know, if if people want to generate more of an income, as we were saying earlier, then then you're looking at things like the dividend. And so again, it's that liking it to a share price. There's a lot of you know positive, good factors there, which you know the reasons why I'd pick an investment trust over an OIC. Um, but majority of the time, I wouldn't. I'd, I'd pick the OIC over the investment trust purely because it's so important for us to be transparent on the cost now. And, and when we're using third-party researchers, um, it, it is more difficult to get that information. And because the fact we're independent means that I'm not relying on the platform so much for that because, you know, I could be researching this fund for a number of clients on a number of different platforms and I need that information consistent, you know, across all of those. And so, you know, but but what information is going into this, you know, what is it's like anything, you know, rubbish information in, rubbish information out. And so, you know, we need to make <laughs> sure what's going in is right. And so that I think that's the challenge for me and probably for quite a few other advisors. I so, Annabelle, ask, I'll meet that challenge. I'm going to ask Tim, do you actually use the AIC website? So so I do. And if I'm honest, probably not as much as I should because, you know, the, the way that we work, I think, like a lot of advisors, you know, we are reliant on 
on yeah these third party softwares and and it's trying to you know keep it because we have to publish charges so many times these days um you know it's a bit overkill but it is important to be clear on that and and so you know we do have to sort of rely on even though i look at various sources you know we need to rely on one that's consistent across the board so we can say you know for every client we know yeah this is what cost you're getting yes it will vary from one platform so which source do you actually rely Um, on for that information so so actually we use um de facto for the risk profiling so so i'm using that that's you know for the compliance point of view whereas personally i use a number of different sources morningstar trustnet you know all these things um but yeah we we have to have something which is there in black and white for the client which as they needs to work for for you know all of them yeah. well actually okay, I mean, i'll let you uh, so if i can just ask you to come on to that and then we'll wrap it up with a, a, another question thank you Annabelle, if you can absolutely just can i can i just say tim that we've actually done a lot of research into the barriers that prevent advisors recommending investment companies and risk ratings is a, a key one. Yes, um, yes. It, it is a key one. And we have been encouraging our members to get their companies risk rated. Absolutely. And a number of them have now done so. And we're continuing to do that. I mean, there are other reasons as well. Some advisors are a bit apathetic. They're happy with their open-ended solution. They don't want to invest in investment company. Some lack the knowledge and the experience to actually invest in investment companies. What I can say to you is uh, it is actually worth going the extra mile, doing that little bit more research, because quite honestly, over the very long term, investment companies tend to outperform. And you've seen from these uh, this data on dividends and the sustainability of the dividend, but also the suitability of the structure for alternative assets like property. And we've all seen where the property open-ended funds have been recently. Yeah, yeah. It really makes sense to use an investment company. This is exactly it, Annabelle. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head in that that's that's exactly where I'd like to be using the more for infrastructure. You know, there's some great infrastructure trusts that have been running for, you know, 100 years or so, as you say. And um, yeah, for me, there's, there's a massive um, hole in the in a client's portfolio that could be filled very well um, by investment trusts and um, yeah so you know so for me if I can say to a client confidently well yeah this is you know what what you're getting is is good value because yeah we do have to be very mindful of the overall cost um, so yeah if we can confidently say that to a client this is what you're paying for it. it might be a little bit more not a problem if it is um, we know it's good value you're getting definitely getting you know value for money that that's the key and um, just being able to show that to clients is, is what we need. Fantastic. I'm going to have to end this there, but uh, I think value for money, that's the key, is a really, really, really pertinent phrase here. Value for money, long-term sustainability of returns. If you get income on top of that, that's a that's a great kicker. But um, we shouldn't be throwing the investment trusts uh, out with the uh, out of the costs bathwater. Oh, what a torture! <laughs> what a tortured metaphor that was. <laughs> Anyone would think that I uh, that I wasn't a journalist um, listening to me talking on these podcasts, but there you go. That's why I'm a writer and I'm not in broadcast. Yeah. Tim, Simon and Annabelle, thank you very much for joining us today. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, take care. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. shopify.com slash work.